And off we go. We'll be in Matthew chapter 19. Last week we looked at the uh, teaching section in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 was a teaching section. It was referred to as the discipleship discourse. And if you remember the discipleship discourse, a disciple is characterized by humility, childlike faith. And that's where he really went with that discipleship discourse and loving concern for our neighbor, uh, that spirit of forgiveness. We talked about forgiveness really are to be the hallmarks of the community of believers. And the greatest example of that is Jesus himself in Philippians chapter 2, where Jesus really demonstrates that humility of, of uh, what it is, is to be humble, childlike faith, dependence upon God becomes a, the key. In chapter 19, verse 1, then, we see the transition when Jesus had finished these words in 19.1 which really tips us off that we are now moving from a teaching phase of the book into a narrative phase of the book. But in that narrative, he carries forth that motif. And that motif of childlike faith and dependence upon him, that motif is kind of carried into this narrative section. And one of the main contrast that happens within this next section is the contrast between childlike faith, which is what he was talking about in the teaching section, childlike faith and dependence and things of that nature, versus that self-reliant faith. And so we have that contrast that's going to go on between childlike faith, dependence upon God, and self-reliant faith, i.e. relying upon ourselves, being contrasted throughout. And so in chapter 19, one of the classic encounters that really demonstrates that that motif goes on with the rich young ruler in chapter 19, verse 16. And so that's where we're going to be. And by the way, you'll, you'll notice that that motif goes on between chapter 18, verses 3 through 6. He's talking about childlike dependence. And then in chapter 19, verses 13 through 15, he's talking about blessing the little children once again. And so you see that childlike faith, and then he goes right into this encounter with the rich young ruler in chapter 19, verse 16. A couple of years ago, and I've shared this story before, a couple of years ago, uh, Patty and I had gone up to Colorado, and I was was, uh, waiting for them to come off the mountain, and I sat in a uh, Starbucks that was at, in kind of a little village there in, the, in uh, the, the ski resort waiting for them to come down. And I, I was encountered by this young guy uh, who looked like a snowboarder. He was a snowboarder. He looked like Sean, whatever his name is, Sean White, you know, kind of that snowboarder young guy. And he was, he was captured by my iPhone. And he said, oh, man, is that an iPhone? I go, yeah, well, yeah. He said, hey, how you like it? You know, that's pretty cool, you know. What's it, you know, what, I don't, you know, he's talking about this iPhone, and I start going back and forth with him. And finally, he gets up to the place, and, uh, you know, he said, whoa, you know a lot about technology. My grandmother, she doesn't know anything about technology. <laughs> Your grandmother, 
What do you mean your grandmother? Well, I could see that the conversation wasn't going very far. And so I, I asked him, I said, you know, hey, how's life going for you, buddy? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, if you were to, if you were to put it down into 1 to 10, on a scale of 1 to 10, what, what number would you give life? You know, how fulfilled are you in life? What would that number be? I, he said something like a five or a six. It doesn't really make too much difference what they, they say. I said, well, what makes it a five? What makes it a six? What, what makes it that? Well, this young guy, he was living with his grandmother. Uh, he didn't really know where mom and dad really were. Uh, he spent a lot of time snowboarding. It kind of went on down the, down the path as to where, where it was. I said, you know, let me ask you another question. Do you think that that number might change one way or the other if God were really a part of your life? He goes, whoa, that's heavy, man. <laughs> yeah, that is heavy, man. But you know, you're getting down to the real life questions. It's a, okay, eternal life. Where are we going to find life? Are we going to find life self-reliant upon ourselves, or are we going to depend upon God? I mean, that's really the, the contrast between dependence upon God and self-reliant faith becomes pretty evident. Where are you trying to find life? Do you think that that number might change one way or the other if God were really the center part of your life? Well, he... He kind of, you know, started waffling with me, obviously, uh, on, on that question. But that's, that really becomes a concern. Who, who then can be saved? What must I do to obtain eternal life? And that's exactly what happens with, the, with going on with the, the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter, chapter nine, uh, 19, starting at verse 16. As you're turning there, let me just give you some of the context as to what's going on. We just ended up with 18, where Jesus was really talking about childlike faith and dependence and humility. We now move into a narrative section. Jesus is moving and beginning to move from Galilee to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. So he's moving down south towards Jerusalem. The year is probably the spring of AD 33. He's been... The disciples have been with him for probably about three years. And a rich young ruler approaches Jesus. Now, interesting, we get rich from Mark. We get young from Matthew. We get ruler from Luke. <laughs> so we put those three together, and we have the rich young ruler. But he was influential. He was wealthy. And he was young. I mean... And kind of the American dream, isn't it? It's just the kind of guy that you'd want your daughter to marry. Maybe. He probably inherited the money. We don't know. But maybe he was trying to figure out how he could inherit as well eternal life. This man was kind of the antithesis, though, of the childlike faith and humility that Jesus had just talked about in Matthew chapter 18. And now we have just the antithesis of that 
coming to encounter Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. And this is the contrast. So we first have the interaction, we have the instruction then for his disciples, and then some implications for us. The interaction with the rich young ruler in verse 16 through 22. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Now the ESV says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? The uh, original probably, what good things must I do? Probably is another translation that you might be able to, what, what good thing should I do? What do I have to do to obtain eternal life? Verse 17, he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, well, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? What one thing am I still not grasping here? Jesus said to him, all right, if you wish to be complete, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. What must I do to obtain eternal life? Now, Mark uses the word inherit. What must I do to inherit? But he basically wanted to know what did he need to do? What do I need to do? You know, he probably thought that, well, all right, he had some sort of right as a Jew to obtain it through some sort of inheritance, maybe in the same way that he had inherited uh, the wealth that he had. But he, he first had a couple of misconceptions. One, that obtaining eternal life was contingent upon some act. And second, that he was going to be able to do it. I mean... That was the, those were the two misconceptions. And notice that he doesn't say how, but he, he really says, what? What must I do? What must I do? You know, today, uh, a lot of people ask that same question. What do I need to do? I mean, religions are basically built upon that concept. Well, you know, you do this, you do this, you do this. You got the five pillars of Islam or whatever. Hey, you do these five things, you'll be good. And we typically, in human nature, we respond to that and say, all right, just give me something to do and I'll do it. This guy is really the epitome of that. Well, Jesus answers and, and says, all right, well, if you want to do something, follow the commandments. It's interesting. He says, uh, why are you asking me about what is good? Um, see, the point is, is that goodness is never really attributed to any anything or anybody other than God. And in rabbinical types of teaching, when you, when you would say good, you're 
talking about God, well, what good thing must I do or what must I do to be good? You know, what, what do you mean good? Because we only attribute to God. If you want to you do something good, then follow God is basically, you know, why are you asking me about good? But if you want to do something, well, great. Verse 17, keep the commandments. Hey, you want to do something? Yeah, great. Keep the commandments. Well, then the verse 18, the guy says, well, which ones? You know, what's the one that I need to keep to be able to obtain eternal life? And so Jesus quotes five. And the ones six, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, and the fifth, and I think that the, the five that he, he really answers with are those that could be easily verified by a person's conduct. The other ones, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, really are internal. These are more external. And so we're going to be able to see if you are going to be able to, 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 to do that. Now, let's pause here for just a second. You know, if, if we were going to ask God, and this is where you get to play, because it doesn't really say, you know, if we were going to ask Jesus, hey, what must I do to obtain eternal life? You know, we would expect probably that Jesus would say, well, believe, right? Believe. Yet here, Jesus gives him a list of commandments. Now, why do you, why do you think that Jesus might have given, given this man a list of commandments to keep? Speak to me. Fill the room with your wisdom. What? 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 What do you? Why do you think it doesn't say? Why? Why do you? So we're kind of out there. Why do you think that Jesus gave him a list of commandments to to fulfill at this point? Yeah, back there in the back. Uh huh. So he was appealing to his um, wanting to follow the rules of. Judaism, sure, possibly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right. Yeah, I want it on my term. More self-reliant, obviously. Yeah. What else? Yeah, back here. Jesus was pointing out that salvation doesn't come from good deeds. Yeah, ultimately, absolutely. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. All right. Yeah. Considering in Judaism... In Judaism, uh, heaven and hell is not really discussed in the Old Testament. So the whole concept of giving up everything to go to heaven or to have an afterlife is probably... Yeah, he's not there yet, but uh, yeah, Jesus just responded, hey, what, what, what do I do? And then he basically says, well, keep the commandments. You want to do something, keep the commandments. Yeah, you know, okay, one more. I think Jesus was just setting him up by giving him the answer he thought he was going to get. Okay. All right, kind of a setup. 
absolutely, I think, yeah. I think you all know. of those things are indicators of his relationship with God and whether or not he's willing to follow him. Sure, sure. And, you know, it's really interesting. You know, the, the guy said, hey, what must I do? All right. If you want to do something, keep the commandments. Well, okay, which one? All right. We want to play this game. We'll go down this road. Uh, the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, you know. Well, we'll just uh, kind of go down. But what's the purpose of the law? See, hey, you want to keep the commandments. What's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to expose people as sinners. And what we do is the next chance where, the, where Jesus already knows this, but the guy says, what do I still lack? Yep. So he knew at some level, he knew that doing all that stuff was not going to be enough. And Jesus just gave him the opening. Yeah. He's saying, hey, you want to do something? Great, do this. Well, which one? Do this. You know, you just kind of roll him down the road to a place where, hey, look, you aren't going to be able to do it. You just aren't going to be able to do it. I don't care how far you want to take this thing down. See, the purpose of the law was really to expose people that they aren't going to be able to keep it. There's no way you're going to be able to keep it. Practically impossible to, to be able to do it. But before this, this man can really be, get there, he's got to come to that conclusion, and Jesus really presses the man to consider his own righteousness in comparison to the law. If you want to compare your righteousness here, let's talk about that in comparison to the law, because you are not going to be able to pull that off. Well, the young man, though, in verse 20, he says, I've done all that. You know, verse 20, the young man said to him, all these things I've kept... What am I still lacking? What's that one thing that I'm still lacking? You know, talk about prideful, self-reliant faith. I've done that. All right. You've done that? Great. Let me give you one more. But interestingly, with the one more, he really gives him three things. And by the way, before we go on, you know, he had an outward conformity to a set of standards, but he had a lack of inward conformity with a change of heart, which brings that contrast into, into comparison. The inward heart of the childlike faith versus the outward conformity to a set of standards. And by the way, notice this also. The man found no assurance in keeping the law. He found no assurance in keeping the law. Well, I've done all that. But still he did not have assurance that he was going to obtain eternal life, even though he felt like he had done all that stuff. You see, you will never find assurance in trying to do stuff. If you try doing stuff, there's always one thing. Well, is there, is there one more thing that I'm missing out there? Is there one more thing that I need to do to be able to, to pull this off? Is there one more thing that I'm missing that I might be able to? And even though he felt like he had done all of those things, he was still lacking the assurance of what must I do to obtain eternal life? Yeah, you're going to say something? Yeah. 
talk about a little bit of arrogance, yeah. Uh, well, so, Jesus then, verse 21, he says, well, if you wish to be complete, interesting, he had sincerely tried, but, you know, hey, if you really want to be complete, then do these three things. Notice there's three things that, okay, I'm going to add here, not just one. I'm going to add three. First, you need to sell all of your assets. Second, you need to give all of your assets to, to the poor. And then three, you need to follow me. Hey, you want to do something? Great. Let me take you down the place to the place where you recognize you aren't going to be able to pull it off in your own power. Let me take you to that place. I'm going to take you down the road to the place where you can't follow. Well, the question really isn't, you know, what are you willing to do? The question is, is really, what are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Great, I, I can see your heart. What you're trusting in right now is your riches. That's what you're trusting in. You're trusting in your, your, your stature. You're trusting in everything that is material. You're trusting in that self-reliant ability to be able to pull it off in your, in your, own, in your own way. That's what you're trusting in. Let's, let's take those away. Let's take those away. Now, you know, in some respects, don't, don't be too, too hard on this young guy. Because we all have some of that same tendency in us, don't we? And with this rich young ruler and the tendency towards self-reliant faith, we're able to also see ourselves. A lot of our dependence that becomes upon the material types of things versus a dependence upon God. Basically, he's saying, you, you have everything, but there's one thing that you lack, and the one thing that you lack is me. Jesus. That's the one thing that you lack. Well, so the young man's faith fell. The young man heard this statement. He went away grieving. His face fell. He chose gold over God. He was looking at today rather than tomorrow. He was comfortable within his self-reliant faith rather than being dependent upon God. And really, get, what are you trusting in? Where's your, where's your faith? I, I think I told you that uh, some years ago I was talking to a, a fellow guide. This was back when I was actually a, a guide. I was talking to a fellow guide in Israel uh, about Jesus, and he was Jewish, and uh, got to the place where he looked at me, and he said, I'll never forget it. It's kind of tattooed in my brain. He looked at me, and he says, you know, what you are saying about Jesus is probably true. But for me to embrace Jesus would be, and these were his words, would be treason. In other words, for him, state, the state of Israel, the nationality, the ethnic identity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, was 
more important to him than the reality that what you are saying about Jesus is probably true. But the social pressure, the social pressure, the ethnic identity, the things that I am attached to, my things that I have in my world, my worldly things are more important than embracing the truth. And you go, whoa. But as I've reflected over that over the years, I mean, that's where a lot of people are. You know, what you're saying about Jesus probably is true. But for me to embrace that would mean that I might have to change some of my comfortable lifestyle that I'm already a part of. And for this rich young ruler, he was saying the same thing. Whoa! I might have to change my lifestyle here by embracing what you're saying. Well, Jesus then has instructions for his disciples in verses 23 through 26. So let's look at the instruction for his disciples. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished. And they said, then who can be saved? I mean, that's the, whoa, that's the, that's the $10,000 question here, isn't it? Who then can be saved? Are you kidding me? Whoa, unbelievable what you're saying. And looking at them, verse 26, with people, this is impossible. Yeah, you try to do stuff, you ain't gonna make it. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, you aren't going to be able to pull this off on your own. It's only through God. Now, verse 23, truly I say to you, you know, obviously wealth can shrink that door to heaven down to a peephole if you are relying upon your wealth. I mean, that's the whole point. Uh, over, the, over the years, there's been, I think, efforts to make uh, reduce the size of the camel or to enlarge the eye of the needle one way or the other. And the, I've heard all of the arguments and read all of the arguments of trying to either reduce the size of the camel or enlarge the eyes of the needle. Uh, the one with, with the, well, the opening of the, the needle was talking about a small gate and everything. That did not come up until the Crusader time, about a thousand years later. And so uh, that one just kind of falls by the wayside. Now, I, I think we're talking about a camel and, the, and a needle. Because the point is, is, hey, it really becomes a pretty small opening if you're, if you're, if you're trying to rely upon your own riches to be able to pull this off. It's not going to happen. The disciples understanding what was going on 
Who then can be saved? I mean, they were astonished, struck out of their senses, overwhelmed with that is the words, the words that were used there. Because they were still thinking that wealth indicated righteousness. And here we had this rich young man who God had obviously blessed, but now he was unable to get into heaven. Jesus says, yeah, salvation's not God's work or man's work. It's God's work. It's not man's work. You aren't going to be able to pull it off. It's God's work. All right, so we've seen the interaction with the rich young ruler. We've seen the instruction for Jesus' disciples. And basically, it's a contrast that Jesus is making between the self-reliant faith of the rich young ruler versus the humble, dependent faith, childlike faith that he had been talking about before. Unless one enters like a little child, dependent upon me, childlike faith, he's not going to be able to get into heaven. And then we have the antithesis of this self-reliant faith come up and basically go after Jesus. So what are the implications? All right. Two questions that were here. And the two questions become very pertinent for all of us. What must I do? And here's the question for you. What must I do to obtain eternal life? Believe. Yeah. You know, you aren't going to be able to do this through a series of keeping a bunch of works. You aren't going to be able to earn your way to heaven. There's no way you're going to be able to earn your way to heaven. Well, then, next question is, is who then can be saved? All right. Anybody that? All right, yeah. Anybody that believes. It's not dependent upon your own works. It's not dependent upon your own efforts. It's not dependent upon what you can do. Basically, he's saying receive the kingdom like a little child with childlike faith versus that self-reliant faith that you have. Okay, the question then becomes is, well, then what about me? What about me? Because that's really where Jesus goes. Well, it's by grace through faith. So now we come back to the initial question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how fulfilling would you say God, life is for you right now? Yeah, where would you put it? Between a scale of 1 to 10. Same question I asked the snowboarder. Where would you put it? 5, 10, 6, 8, whatever. And the next question is, is well, what makes it an 8? Next question after that is, hey, do you think that Nate, that number might change one way or the other if God was a part of the equation? 
You know, and we really get down to everyday life. We get down to everyday life where we're faced with that decision as to whether or not I'm going to rely upon my own efforts and my own self-reliant efforts to be able to pull this off or if I'm going to rely upon God. That's really what it gets down to. Am I going to do this? In America, you know, we, we go, yeah, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, right? We need to, we need to do it. Jesus makes the contrast and says, you know, hey, childlike dependence and faith. Maybe something's become a little bit more precious to you than Jesus. For this young man, his riches had become more precious to him than Jesus. For that guide that I talked to, you know, his lifestyle, his ethnic identity, his allegiance became more precious to him than Jesus. What, what maybe has become a little bit more precious to you than, than Jesus? If Jesus said, hey, you want, you want to do something? Here, I'll give you three things. Follow me. we're getting down to what are we trusting in here what are we trusting in we trusting on the material stuff or we trusting in what jesus christ has already has already said you know and we all go well that's fine up to a point doug that's fine up to a point but you know at some point i don't know you know, ultimately, we get to the place where we recognize that, you know, self-reliant faith leads towards death. It's the childlike faith that leads to life. Jesus now begins to use that encounter to basically bring that point up. It's not what you can do for him. It's what he has already done for you. And faith and trust and dependence upon him. That motif continues to follow in this narrative section as Jesus calls his disciples and continues to call his disciples, hey, dependence upon me, childlike faith and dependence. Riches are just one of those things that kind of put a hinder up to us, obviously with that. What are some of the other things that, that might cause a hindrance? For my friend in Israel, it was his ethnic identity. What are some other things that, that we run into every day that might keep us from trusting in him, that might become a barrier? What's that? Family. In what way? Okay, and it might cause you to compromise in some respect, uh, compromise your standards or something because of the pressure that you are receiving as a result of, of family pressure. Absolutely, family might cause you to compromise. What are some other, that's a good word that I just pulled up, compromise. What are some other things that might cause us to compromise? Yes. 
Self-reliance, absolutely, which is the whole point of the, of the parable of relying upon ourselves that we think that we can fix it. Pride, power, position. Oh, my goodness. You kind of knocked on a few doors here, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, talking about that self-reliant faith, uh, last week I was got into a conversation about prayer. And it's interesting. Interesting in a lot of cases, when do you find people praying the most? Uh, usually in a hospital or something of that nature when they realize they don't have any control. You know, they've run out of every, every option that they possibly can run out of, you know. And then, and then it's almost like, well, my last resort is to turn to God in prayer. And you realize, well, you never really had the control, but it took, you, took, took all of this to happen in your life to get to the place where you realize, all right, you don't have any control, and that really God is the one that's in control, and that's when they finally rely upon prayer. Whereas prayer, if we realize, yeah, we don't have any control, now we recognize how childlike dependence really should keep us praying and in prayer because we recognize, hey, you're the one in, in charge. Power, prestige, what was the other one? Pride, position, all right? Technology. Technology, all right? In what way? Fill that out a little bit. Media, uh, relying on, say, like your cell phone, your computers, and the advancements that you can buy one after another. All right. Yeah, we can answer just about every question that we want on Google, right? Yeah, versus, yeah, is that the first place that we run to for handling life's difficulties, or is the first place that we run to really God? It can become a, it can become a, a barrier. It can become a, a, a temptation. What are, what are some other things? Job. What's that? Job. Job? Yeah, especially in the same way the family over here kind of uh, puts pressure on you to change who you are uh, or to alter who you are based upon the pressures that, that might, be, might come upon you. Uh, sure, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And really, yeah, that, that's a great one of uh, not, not having a good understanding of who God is and all of a sudden then projecting onto God some things that really just are not true. Um, having a healthy nature of how do you view God really does and people will blame God because of what they really an incorrect view of who God is. Blame God and it, at, at, at some point, then, it just gets down. Uh, uh, Patty was reading a uh, book some time ago where uh, you can say no to God to, 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 a, to a certain extent to a place where it becomes no God. You know, no God, no God, no God. You say no to God so many times, so basically you get to the place where there's no God. And, yeah, and then you, then you go, whoa. And that's just a warped view of, of really the nature and character of God. Behind you, we're going behind. Uh, I think reliance on science. Uh, people believe that science can solve everything for us, but when we look at it, 
science is evolving over time. We find things that we believe 20 years ago are not really true, but the Word of God never changes. Okay, yeah, our reliance upon technology or reliance upon God, yeah. Are we saying here then in this story that God, uh, Christ just looked into the life of this man and he saw what his priority was? But it could be any of these things we've been talking about for us. So it could be just as hard for a proud person to go through the eye of a needle than a camel or any of these other things, not just wealth. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole, that's the whole contrast between that self-reliant, relying upon something other than God, which is that childlike faith and dependence upon him. So yeah, we, we've got all kinds of barriers that are going to be in there. Yeah, Michael. This is a hard one. I want, I want to challenge the idea that we rely then instead on our ability to believe. And, and is, is our own reliance on our faith and our ability to believe it in itself a trap that leads us away from childlike? Because children don't believe in their parents. They just trust. They just know the parent is there and the parent's going to take care of it. And, and yet so often we think, well, I've got to have faith or I've got to build my belief when in fact, yeah, you know, it's kind of like all these other things. But the fact is God's still in charge even if we don't believe, even if our faith falters. Great point. Great point. You bet. Yeah, we can, we can create a, a ton of different barriers. Self-reliant faith is going to lead down a particular path. Life is not found in self. Life is not going to be found in trying to keep a set of rules that maybe you've manufactured on your own or a set of standards that maybe you've manufactured on your own. Life is found in Jesus Christ and self-dependent upon being dependent upon him. The Father's desire, Jesus' desire, is childlike dependence and faith and trust upon him and him alone. All the way through this narrative section, you're going to continue to hear that, just kind of that motif. Come back. Come back. We go, what's keeping me from coming back? Well, there's a lot of stuff that's keeping me from coming back, but he keeps, keeps, come back. Come back. Please, come back to dependence upon me and you will find abundant life. Life is found in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the reality of your word. Thank you for this encounter that Jesus has with this rich young ruler. Father, we are so prone to rely upon ourselves, to rely upon our own efforts, to rely upon our own cleverness, to rely upon our own ingenuity, our, our set of rules that we've established. Gosh, if I just do this and do this, then I'm going to be acceptable to God. Father, bring us back to that childlike dependence and faith and trust of reliance upon you and you alone as the only way to be able to find life 
and life abundant. Thank you for each one here. Father, I pray this week that you would just richly bless them, that they would continue to rely upon you moment by moment, day by day. We submit ourselves, our families, our ministries into your care and pray all of these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. See you next week.